our heads together in prayer as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, just uh, part of that message and sermon today is just keep it simple. And mm. oh, the simplicity that, that we tend to complicate, the barriers that we put in the way of your gospel, just like Paul writes here. Um, help within our hearts, but also within our lives to tear those barriers down, to tell us, hey, stop complicating something because what I am is I am for you. So help us to recall that love, to bask in that love, <coughs> and to uh, live as, as you've not just requested of us, but command us because, Lord, we want to love others as you've loved us. So thank you for this time together and this instruction through Paul's letter in Corinthians. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to do 23 through verse 1, and we'll get through that pretty quick because it's, it's a short but sweet section. And then we're going to jump right into 11 and do that first chunk where we'll talk about headwear. It'll be cool. Uh, let's start here. Discussion question. What, who was someone you looked up to when you were younger, and what did they do to invest in you? Right? So you might recall this from Sunday. Um, think about that. Have it in mind. Because Paul's closing this section of the letter, like in chapter 10. He's like, this is what I've been talking about. For not just for ten, chap- ten, 10 chapters, excuse me, but especially 6 through 10. He's really putting an end cap on this. Right? And I say, think of someone you looked up to when you were younger, and what did they do to invest in you? As you consider that, right, what Paul's going to say here in 23, you know, the ending he'll have, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not to seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. As he reflects on that, reflect on that person who invested in you. We don't need to talk about it too much. But as you reflect on that, didn't they have to give something up to invest in you? Right? There's not a lot that you did that you surrounded them with that they had something to gain from. We are, are uh, I don't want to put everybody in a box. What I will say is I feel like there's been a cultural shift in mindset from others to myself. It's about what, what can I get out of you? What can I get out of this situation? What can I gain um, from, from whatever whatever it is, whether it's investing in uh, a class or people or, or a teacher and educators, it's like it becomes a lot more about me and a lot less about others. And Paul's trying to turn the hearts of the Corinthians back out to others. We want to turn our heart into ourselves and out to others is what we're focusing on. It's funny, it's kind of what my message was on last week, right? Mm-hmm. We tend to want to focus on our cup being filled and saying, God, uh, you can keep pouring and let it overflow to the floor, but don't let me give away anything that I've got. And in, in this time, you know, we've been reflecting on this chapter after chapter, you know, all the way back from the Corinthians are saying, uh, no, no, we have these rights, these freedoms in Christ, and we can exercise them as much as we want. And Paul's saying, don't put up obstacles to the gospel. You know, consider those who are weaker than you in the faith. And then he reflects in the next chapter, because like me, who's an apostle who has a huge list of rights and all these things, I think that's my next slide actually, is an overview of all this. Oh, I did the, the big mistake. Give me one moment. <laughs> If you, there you go. If you progress on this thing, there's there's no going back. Really? Yeah, you can't go backwards on this. So I'll, I'll keep it like this. Over here, right? So all the the chapters eight. I'll present again. I won't mess it up. There we are. You won't mess it. If you tap one too many times, then you got to close the whole thing, open it back up, start from the beginning. Um, uh, chapter 8, right? Let's go ahead and, before I give it all away, mm-hmm. when you consider that person, this is the closing of the time. I said since chapter 8, it's really gone on since chapter 6. Someone, uh, let's kind of go uh, between Deb and, and Brooke and Alex over there, do chapter 8 for me. Find chapter 8, and let's have this front section over here. Try and find chapter 9, and then the rest of this half, chapter 10. 
And you can kind of see the verses that I listed over here for you. 4 plus 8 plus 13, meaning don't read through. Just 4, 9, 13, 12b, so the second half of that. 19 and 23, then 14, 16, and 21. And I have the same question after each one. What does this mean altogether? Because he's coming up to the closing here. Someone find chapter 8? Yeah. Can you, read, can you read those verses out loud for us? Yeah. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. In verse 9, right? Mm-hmm. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Mm-hmm. And 13, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Great. Now that we have the context of what's going on, it helps just to unpack it quickly. The first section was, hey, you know, meat offered idols, that's nothing, right? You know, you indeed have freedom in Christ. You don't need to worry about the meat that's offered in markets. Then that second verse, uh, I'll read that again for me, the second verse, sorry. Uh, number nine. Yeah, number nine. Uh, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Okay, and make sure you, and I've already reflected on this once already, make sure your right doesn't become a stumbling block for the weak. You know, the very basic example, without like, you know, belittling anything, people will say, um, you know, if I, if I have the right to drink beer, but I come before someone else, let's say, Ken comes before me and I'm an alcoholic, and Ken's like, I got a right to drink as much beer as I want. And I'm like, well, I don't because it will make me stumble into sin, right, for those who are weaker. It's like I'll, I'll, I'll overindulge, and then when I overindulge, I get angry, however you want to create that list and that narrative. It would be him, Paul, saying as a Christian, although you have this right and this freedom, you really should give it up for the sake of your brother. Those not just weaker in the faith, but like weaker in certain practices and things like this. And in regards, like the very practical example he's talking about is idol, idol meat. You know, it's like, I know I could eat this, that bale's actually nothing but a piece of wood. I know the real true God. But Ken, Ken could do that, but I might not know the real true God. And he goes, well, I could eat this lamb shank that was sacrificed to Baal. But if he sees me do this, he might think that, oh, as a new Christian, maybe I can still worship Baal. And I could worship um, God at the same time. Maybe they're still kind of on equal terms. It's my right. It's not just my right to eat that meat, but I, he would say as a Christian to be a servant of all, even though I'm free from all. I would throw that meat aside. I could find something else to eat. And that last uh, last verse again, Deb, could you say that? 13, 13. again? 13. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Yes. And that, that's what I said just a little bit now, but Paul's taking a very practical example right now. He's going to, as we already know, he's going to take this and open it up quite a bit in these next two chapters. So, what does this mean altogether? I'm free, but you know, I'm also, I'm given a duty to watch out for those who are weaker than me in the faith, because that's what Jesus did for me in this continuing ongoing chain. Therefore, if, if you're a vegetarian and if I eat meat in front of you and that makes you want to worship idols, I should enjoy a salad with you, right? There's, there's like a, an, an essence of this and like the simple way is don't make, this never works in the moment. This never works in an emotional argument before you try and do it. Don't make small things such a big deal. Yeah. It's kind of what Paul said in a logical way. You can't, don't say, don't say, well, Pastor Chris said this next time you start fighting with somebody. You know, you really just make simple things way too complicated. You should just keep it simple. And then it, I guarantee you it will, it will become worse. So don't do that. Um, but keep it in mind as a Christian. So chapter 9, can we read 9, 12, B? So that's the second half of it, 19 and 23. Sure. Um, so 
12b, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. What's that last part? Put up with anything rather than what? Hinder. Hinder. Don't put it. That's what I said in my prayer. Don't put any obstacles. It's my prayer all the time. As a pastor gets to speak that freedom of Christ to others, I'm like, don't let me complicate it. Don't let me put up any blockade or hindrances. Right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Does that sound countercultural or what? Right? I'm putting myself in a mindset that I want to serve you. Now, just like Sherry shared with us before, you know, if, I, if I'm the alcoholic, it's not my job to make myself a servant to the other alcoholics, so therefore I'll go to the bar and try and find them. I'm putting myself in danger. Uh, but to make myself a <laughs> servant to all, oh, I know. It, it's, it's, I love it's, that. But, but you, are you not shocked when people make that suggestion? I'm sitting there like, what are you talking about? What are you doing? Like, maybe you can empathize better, sure, in like a, a, a safe and controlled situation, but I don't know. That's, that aside, uh, I make myself a servant to all, meaning I'm putting myself, we talk about it, you know. So my degree with uh, my, my master's in theology has an emphasis in what's called cross-cultural ministries or cross-cultural, um, mm-hmm. um, what's, what's, what's the word? Uh, I can't think of the word. Else. I know it's in my degree. It's on a piece of paper. But it's the <laughs> idea of being, being able to examine things in a, like crossing cultures in any kind of given situation. They say like if you're a Navy SEAL and you're dropped in a place you'd adapt, as a person that goes to this program, if I'm dropped in a place where mm-hmm. I don't know the culture, you kind of adapt to it and, and figure it out. One thing we talk about often is the cultural nomos. The cultural nomos means if I put myself in Paul's shoes and I'm looking out of his eyes, what do I see? Right? And that's what Paul's talking about. He's like a, a, a Jew to the Jew, a Gentile to the Gentiles, to the weak, those who are weak, to those who are under the law, those that are under the law. He's like, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of that person so I can walk alongside them, walk with them, as Christ does for us. In the same sense, kind of like where my training lies in, if I'm seeing out of Paul's eyes, I want to see what he sees in the world as he sees it, and then I can see where those gaps where Christ is trying to peek through. When you say, like, you know, the, the lamp that's underneath the basket, you know, it's not doing its job or its purpose by lighting the room, but you see it coming out of those little pieces of wicker. I want to be in his shoes under, in that room with that light being covered and see where those glimpses of light can be. And I can talk to him based off of those connection points. I think we, we shared on this before with Alex, right? Finding that cultural rapport, meaning I want to find a common ground with you so you can feel like I'm standing with you and alongside you. So when I bring something up, it's not, um, there's a really neat book. It's called When Helping Hurts. That's when we talk about standing on like a pedestal. And I'm like, well, I'm on this pedestal and you're lowly and you're down there. Allow me to assist you. Do people take that kind of assistance very well? No. Not really. When I start telling you what your problems are and I'm here to fix them, does that ever work? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. I feel like there's marriage counseling today. <laughs> right? <laughs> Don't do that either. Um, but I'm not here standing on a pedestal telling you everything that's wrong. Paul's saying, I'm walking alongside you, just as Christ walked alongside you as well. And then the last one, again for me, 23, one more time. Sure. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I say it all the time. I, when, whenever I'm in any position, in any place, when I'm feeling up, just downright poopy and just and, and down and out, I say, I do this for the sake of the gospel, right? It's like, even if I'm here, and we'll talk about that, that'll be in 23, do all things for the glory of God and those who love him, right? I'm like, okay, I got to have that reminder, right? Because Paul's saying, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. This entire letter, guess what? It's for the sake of the gospel. Those awkward conversations you have with people that aren't any fun, if you keep in mind you're doing it for the sake of the gospel, they, they turn out a lot lighter 
on your heart. Does that make sense? I'm not going to say they're not any easier or they're not um, any more difficult to have, but you'll find your heart a lot less heavy when you're going into it's like, hey, I got remember I'm doing things for the sake of the gospel and sharing the love of Christ, even with my fellow Christian. Because you know what? If you're anything like me, I'm forgetful, right? I tell everybody my brain is like a solid-state hard drive. It's very fast. It's very efficient. But it's one of those very small, cheap ones that's like 100 gigabytes. And I have a very large external hard drive. It takes a long time for me to download certain things. So I'm, I may seem forgetful. It's just the download speed slow. But in the same sense, even in the, mo- the heat of the moment when you're emotional, do you not all of a sudden be like, I got the love of Christ. I'm doing all things for the sake of God. You said what to me? And then it, ter- and then it escalates, right? And when we escalate, we tend to escalate from forgiveness and the gospel. We escalate away from it. Yes. We, and I, when I tell people when we say de-escalate a, de-escalate a situation, it's not necessarily about like diffusing and, and making everything okay. It's like, remember why you're here. And remember, um, you know, when I give marriage counseling, I always say, remember the heart of the person in front of you. Remember the person across from you loves you. Like, and they're not there for malicious intent. Even though you're at that point now, that's not where it started. Right? And it's like, oh, that's just that reminder. My other reminder is, in the perspective of eternity, how big a deal is this right now? And you, that's how you go, oh, yeah, I have eternity in Jesus. I now remember, right? So Paul's talking about that. Chapter 10, uh, let's get to this, because it's right before we get to this final section. Take a look, by the way. A new clock is present. Yeah. 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 You're welcome. I, I did it. Wow. It's uh, just a battery, battery, not a new clock. Right? No, it's a whole new clock. Oh. Yeah, the whole, it was oh. an atomic clock. I replaced the battery. It didn't work at all. I had to go get a new clock, put it up there. So we're, we're, we're in business. Uh, uh, t- over here, chapter 10, uh, 14, 16, and 21. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Thank you. We read a little more. Uh, no, we read a bunch of no. Which is good. 14, 16, 21. Good. Good job. You read it so smoothly, I was like, no pauses. pauses. She didn't didn't have to look at anything. But so you got the idea all together when those verses flow together, right? So participate, we talked about that, that word koinonia, meaning you're it's it's like an intimate participation, involvement, the way that you're intimate with a a spouse in regards to marriage, the two become one flesh. He's saying, Stop. He's like, You're united with Christ in that way that's so intimate. The two become one flesh. You know, he says a rope of three cords in Ecclesiastes is not one quickly broken. Like you are woven together. Stop taking that same practice and doing it with demons and idolatry, right? Stop. Uh, the, the greatest demon I feel like we all face is the one of self-indulgence, right? It's, it, there, are other, there are other ones out there, but I, it's hard for me to get past myself before I see anything else. And it, I'm, I'm a big hurdle. My eyes and my vision for the sake of others and the blockade on my heart is giving myself for the sake of the gospel and for others. So I'm like, okay, oftentimes I want to participate in my self-indulgence and the things that's going on. And Paul's saying, sacrifice all that, because he said again in that last verse, that was 21, right? You cannot drink the cup of demons and the cup, uh, the cup of the Lord. You cannot participate in the table of the Lord and the table of demons, right? It's like, okay, that's a pretty heavy point. It is. And, and he's about to get to that. But there's, it's, it's just as Jesus would teach, too. He gives you something heavy and always shows you, is it, it, it was here, right? Or is it in the next part? Uh, oh, oh! God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, He always provides a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Does not Jesus give you a heavy law point, and then always tells you the way of escape? 
What is the way of escape? Through me. Mm-hmm. He says it always. It's always through me. All those who believe in me shall have eternal life. Right? And all those who don't will perish. It's like, ouch! He's like, I told you how to get there. Narrow is the gate. You know, why does the path of uh, destruction narrow is the gate to salvation? But guess what? I told you where the gate was. And the reason it's a narrow gate is because I'm probably 5'5", and, you know, I have a a 32-inch chest. I'm a small... He wasn't like a huge guy, but, you know, nowhere near like the size of us today. You kind of imagine that with nutrition. It's like, I may be, you know, a man, which looks like a small gate, but I told you where I am, and I told you who I am, and I told you how to get through it. So there's always a means of escape, and it's always through Christ. And we get to this part right over here. We read 23. Oh, we didn't read any of this. Um, Let me reread 23, then I'll let somebody else read 23 through 30. 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do you notice how those all things are lawful are in quotes? He's quoting the people of Corinth. He's quoting the, the church that's there. They're saying, well, all things are lawful, aren't it? Uh, ain't it? Why am I? Why I can't say that right? All things are lawful, aren't they? And he's like, yeah, but not all things are helpful. Then they say again, but all things are lawful. And he's like, but not all things build up. And what are we called to do? Build one another up with love. He's like, it may be lawful, but it's not accomplishing the purpose. Does that make sense? Letter of the law versus spirit of the law kind of sense. My mother-in-law says it like this. Um, oh, not, not all things... Oh, how does she say it? Um, you can do anything, but not all things are beneficial. She kind of takes it and quotes it. I'm, mis- I'm misrepresenting that. I wonder if I wrote it down. She's going to listen to this and say, like, oh, you forgot. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but he's saying all things may be lawful, but not all things are beneficial, mm-hmm. right? For the sake of your neighbor. Not all things, uh, they may be lawful, but don't accomplish the purpose. Sure, it's not unlawful to throw up um, a basket on top of that lamp. But are you really, really accomplishing the purpose of what the lamp was sent there to do? You know, so keeping those in mind. Uh, let's, can someone else read the rest of it for me? 24 through 30. Um, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the market, meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go... Eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. I'm going to pause you for a second. Mm-hmm. This is where I said before, where it's a, it's a very nice way and a kind way of saying, hey guys, sometimes you just need to chill out, right? That's essentially what Paul's saying. Don't make a small thing into a big thing. Until, verse 28. But if someone <laughs> says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. Mm-hmm. For why is my freedom being judged by another's con- conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Mm-hmm. Thank you. So we'll pause there. Um, I said, how can you rephrase it and relate it back to 23? Um, I'll, I'll do it for you a little bit just to, to move us along. To, again, I said, if it's, if it's not a big deal, don't make a fuss. When it is a big deal, um, do it with kindness. Right? That's, that's a bit of what he's saying here in regards to a violation of your rights, supposedly, as a Christian. Right? Compared to being so defensive about what you feel like is yours. Um, I often say, remember, it was given to you. Right? That, that we're called to do so and, and work with it well, with the same grace and mercy it was given to with us. Mm-hmm. So, so here we are in this very, very small section where he's saying, uh, 
you can go and you can exercise your rights, but at the same time, for the sake of that person that's weaker than you, again, it's another rephrasing of chapter 8 all the way to this point in 10, don't participate. That's it. I don't think I need anything else. Do all things for the good of your neighbor. Then we wrap up over here. Let's see if I got it. Okay, I got one more. Because this leads right into the next thing. How does Paul close this section? Good idea. Here, I'll read it from here. Verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I don't remember where I got this quote from, to be honest. If I'm reading it anyway. No one should be selfishly preoccupied with his own rights, privileges, and personal satisfaction at the expense of others. Hmm. That's interesting, isn't it, in our society? <laughs> well, I, I think, and no joke, I feel like I read this on like an article on my phone. I don't think I got I, I looked at my, my study Bible. I'm like, this didn't come from the study Bible. And I'm like, I, knowing the three other sources I usually pull material from from this class, I'm like, that wouldn't have come from those. I think I read that and went, oh, I better write that down. And I couldn't tell you where it's from. But an interesting yeah. concept, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's in a much, much more law-heavy way that he's speaking right over there. But mm -hmm. in the same sense, you know, we talked about a law as a mirror last week. Sometimes we need a little bit of that reflection going, oh, yeah, maybe I am a bit preoccupied with my own rights, privileges, and personal satisfaction at the expense of others. That's the, really countercultural to what's going on in our society. It is, and, and the, the, po the positive spin on it would be um, I have to realize a bit that I'm so abundantly filled by knowing who my Savior is and the grace and mercy he provides me that I, out of that abundance I can give to others, right? That's the gospel way of kind of saying the exact same thing, right? Um, but Jesus will tell you both ways. He'll say one and then remind you of the other right after that. And I love this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Uh, we talked again about that chain, right? He said, Christ did this for Paul. Paul does this for the church of Corinth. Church of Corinth, go and do likewise, as Jesus often says. Go and do likewise, as Christ has done for us, and as I have done for you, and as all these other people have poured into you, I ask you to do the same for, the, for others. That's kind of the end of this section. Any questions, comments, concerns? So I have a comment. You yeah, know yeah. when you said um, it's a don't make something big out of a small deal. It's uh -huh. how people tend to get offended. So James and I usually say, why are you pole vaulting over mouse turds? I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. That's why you giggled when I said it, huh? Yeah. 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 Because it lightens it up and it, you know, it puts the moment in mm -hmm. perspective. So, yeah. yeah. Pole vault over mouse turds. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it's that idea of, you know, dare I say, that selfish preoccupation with your own rights, privileges, and personal satisfaction, especially personal satisfaction for those who feel like they have to get the last comment in always and to always win an argument. It's like... In the same sense, Paul's saying, give that up. Like, not just you trying to own it, but if someone else feels like they have to own it, just go, whatever. You know, it's really not that big a deal on either, on either side. And if it's that big deal to them, don't pull vote over monster. Just say, okay. <laughs> yep. So something that basic. Also, yeah. it's, uh, a matter of attaching your self-worth to this issue as opposed to 
mm-hmm. our self worth is, is has to be attached to Christ. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're really seeing something in particular there, right? Paul's right. He's writing yeah. so much and so hard, and you'll see that's where. Um, where he's going to go to not the next chapter, but the chapter after this is like, he's writing so hard about these such specific issues. If you just remember Christ, like, right. why is your focus on what you can do in front of others when you feel like a few things would happen a bit more naturally, right? I love what Jesus says when he gives you that whole section on anxiety, right in Matthew, I think it's 15. And then he says, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right. Jesus kind of gives you all the instructions there. Guess what? Like, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And you'll be surprised at how many other things fall into place a lot more pleasantly. Right? Maybe I won't be writing to you about how you shouldn't be drinking in front of the, uh, your buddy over here or eating meat in front of this guy right over here. You'd, you'd be like, you know what? I shouldn't do this because I, can, I see what it's doing to my friend, so I stop naturally. You may be surprised. But they didn't, also didn't have that as much back then in particular. In the same sense, though, um, how accessible we have the word of God how often are we, we diving into it, right? It's, it's, it's amazing how the same issue pops up, and, and even though the resources are different. But that's also human nature, isn't it? We, we have, we've had since the beginning of humanity, and you think we would have figured it out then. You know, when God was present and talking directly to people, you think we would have sorted it out, and we still didn't. Right? And we say our resources are better. Now that's a resource, right? I'm walking with God in the cool of the day. How can I mess this up? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's go to the next part. This is 2 through 16 now. I don't think I put any discussion with this one. I think I just dove right into it. Oh, so what's going on here? What a neat section. Um, Head coverings. Right? This is one of those sections people read, and I'm going to tell you right now, just like I told you every time I've ever taught this class on a Sunday morning, that when you read this out of context, especially removed from the rest of the letter, you're going to get some wrong conclusions and things will not make any sense. Right? Because I've said it from the beginning. If you keep the whole letter in mind, things are a lot, not just more gentle, they're a lot more approachable. Right? So we see over here, I wrote, what's going on here? Um, before I, I, I'll read to you some of the context. Let's just let it land on us the way that it will. Can someone read uh, one through, uh, no, go two, to th- two through 16 for me about head coverings. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I pass them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays or prophecies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, 
the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as a woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. All right. Thanks, James. Mm-hmm. About as clear as mud, you feel like? It, it's always been as clear as mud. Clear as mud, great. I always skip over it because I think I don't know what he means. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Well, no let's, let's, let's tear into it a little bit, right? Let's, let's, let's get into it. So, again, first off, realize the context of the people he's writing to. Right when we kind of highlighted a bit of what Corinth was at that time, we're talking like the capital of debauchery within the world, right? Mm-hmm. And make Las Vegas feel shame, you know, that that kind of thing. So we're at the point where there's all these different like temples of prostitution. Mm-hmm. We're talking all these different gods that are worshipped in the same city. It's a port city that has two ports, the only city like that in the entire world. So we're talking foot traffic, you know, upwards of. Possibly, as they predict, 300,000 people. That's like a city by today's standards. By then, 30,000 was a city. That's how many people are going through Corinth in one day. And sailors aren't exactly known for their good morals uh, back then. You know, I can't make a judgment now. But but back then, not exactly known for their, their, their great morals and morality. So what's going on? Here, with head coverings, right? Why aren't we wearing hats in church anymore, right? That should be, that should be the title of a sermon. Put this text up there, and it should say, why aren't we wearing hats in church anymore? And see how many people stay just past the title slide. Um, but as we go, this, what's going on? Um, understanding the context. So you can see, I, I put a couple things up here in particular. Status is conveyed by appearance. Big thing. So you have to realize Corinth is like the baby brother of Rome. It's one of the very few, it's... If any, out of all places in all of the world at this time, you could have, you, if you were born in Corinth, you could have Roman citizenship. So that's how, that's how t- closely tied this is to Rome. Uh, so you take a look at this and go, okay, um, head coverings, let's start off with, I wrote everything down for you so I didn't miss anything. So in Roman culture, um, so you know how we wore wedding rings, right? Mm-hmm. And we have that, that kind of, uh, why, why do you wear a wedding ring? Right? We can give you all sorts of really nice things when we do our, 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 you know, the pastor's up there and he's got his little book and we talk about all these things at rings. Is it a commanded practice in the Bible? No. Yeah. No. Well, why do we do it? I, I, but what about the ring that means eternity and it always goes around in a circle for each other and it's made of gold to show your value? What happened to all that stuff? Where do we get that from? Well, tradition. And Paul's talking about tradition here. In the same way in which we give a symbol of status basis of offer appearance, at that time a woman would wear a headdress showing that she was married and no longer available. So what do you do when you're married and you decide not to wear your headdress anymore? Or you see that guy that's walking into the bar and before he goes in there he's put, taking off his ring and putting it in his pocket. Does he have intention to remain faithful? Or no? No, he does not, right? So you could see, and, and we could see that very easily in our culture today. They saw the same thing then in that culture, right? And again, consider the context. People coming in and out, 
a highly sexualized, you would say, city um, that, that wanted to participate in that very often. How, how long do you think a woman would have to take off her head covering before she made, an offer was made to her? Not very much. And you're like, okay, so you're taking an outside practice and culture, and now you're going to do it in church, right? It, it would be like, okay, instead of not just walking into the bar and trying to take off my wedding ring before I walk into church, I'm going to take off my wedding ring, so then maybe a nice Christian gal will think I'm available, right? I'm not going in there. If I have to take it off, it's not for faithful intentions. He's saying the same thing here. You're conveying your status by a woman wearing a headdress. Now, what's up with all the authority speak um, that's going on in there? That's, that's a bit much. You have to realize, again, we're reading something from a 21st century context that happened in the 1st century. We're talking 1st century B.C., or not B.C., A.D., right? So this, is, this has been a hot minute, guys. When we look at this, it's like, oh, you know, are these have to be all the practices now. Well, um, let me read... Let me see. I want to read this to you. So this is, um, I picked this up from one of my commentaries. This is a saying that came from Jewish law at the time. Because there's kind of three, as you go through this section, you need to realize three different things. One, uh, it's the context at the time. Two, let me see if I can go to this next slide. Oh, remember three things. One, we live in a 21st century, and this was written in the 1st century. Two, what is Paul's background? Three, Corinth was probably the most promiscuous city in the entire world, right? So you have all this talking about authority, and I won't get to it maybe as in-depth as you would love, but if you keep these three things in mind, as you read through this thing, start to make a lot more sense. So let me see here. Da -da 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 -da. Oh, um, oh, man. This is, this is recorded. I will say it. As, as we talk about some instances and things happening in our culture today, and uh, it can happen in a sense of being good, like revolution is good, uh, women's suffrage was good, um, Martin Luther King Jr. And, and the things that we've fought through with, with uh, diversity and racial profiling and, and, and all that and racism, that was good, right? We see all that in the same sense, uh, as those things are good, there's always kind of two sides to a coin. We sometimes go through revolutions within cultures that are bad, right? And many people go on and be like, what are people thinking? What is going on anymore? This is kind of what's going on here. What is going on anymore? There was kind of in the sense of this, um, especially within Roman laws and rights, this new woman mentality that was going on. I say that in quotes because that's kind of what Paul's referring to. It's more like a, you know, you, not just you don't need no man kind of thing. They're talking about some rights that, that women really needed and did get eventually, not necessarily in Roman culture, but later. If um, um, a man wanted to divorce his wife, he would just marry a new one and say, have a good day. Um, and for a woman to divorce her husband was practically I incomprehensible. There was no way she could visit, she, that she could do it. She would just have to go off and leave and just be estranged and hopefully um, check up with somebody else, and that would be their, her new relationship, and that would be that. So as, as we kind of go into that, that in the same sense when you think about all the chapters he just wrote about, 8, 9, and 10, talking about gospel freedom right, and the sake of others, there's this, like, man, you're, you're going to have a cultural battle in this instance of, like, headdress or no headdress. Do we wear headdresses anymore? No, we don't. I don't, I don't see you as promiscuous for not wearing one, necessarily. But that's because society has changed, and it's different. And in the same sense, when we kind of consider now how society is changing different, we always go, man, like, those transition spots are pretty rough. Right? Imagine when they decided to finally say, okay, we're not going to do headdresses in church anymore because it no longer in society means 
that you're promiscuous. We have different symbols or different practices for that. Do you think that transition was easy? No. No. Do you think any of the transitions I've talked about, we experienced in the world for the good, were easy? No. No. no we still go. We're still going through them, aren't we? Yeah. Right. So there's a sense in when some change can, um, the way things shift, that in a good way, there's still a lot of struggle that goes through them. In the same sense, in the way that we've seen things change for the bad. Um, we still struggle with, and we wonder why can't the ball stop rolling downhill, right? So Paul's perspective over here, number two, let me tell you something about Jewish law. Um, so Paul's coming from this perspective, again, being an expert in Jewish law, a scribe, um, even considered by some even could be a fad, uh, Pharisee or Sadducee, sitting in court. Um, there was a Jewish law that said this, and oh, not Jewish law, it was an old Jewish saying, um, and this is translated. So God did not, and again, this is just a saying, this is not me. Uh, God did not form woman out of the head, lest she should not become proud, nor out of the eye that she should lust, nor out of the ear that she should be curious, nor out of the mouth lest she should be talkative, nor out of the heart lest she be jealous, nor out of the hand lest she should be covetous, nor out of the foot should she be a wandering busybody, but out of a rib which is always covered. Therefore, modesty should be her primary quality. When you read this letter, you kind of see it in, in two halves, don't you? And that shift happens very distinctly at verse 11 when Paul says what? A woman is well, not independent. Yeah, well, what does he say at the beginning of verse 11? Do you have a word? Nevertheless. Nevertheless, right? Yeah. Nevertheless. What did he do in the first section of this that sometimes we take a little bit too much to heart? About the covering. This is what you see and this is what's happening in your, in your culture today. He's talking about in society here in Corinth, this is what the practice is right now. Nevertheless, regardless of practice, it's kind of another way of saying it, regardless of what you just read, right, we read this. Nevertheless, the, the Lord, uh, in the Lord, woman is not independent of her man, nor man of woman. What are we seeing now? Equality. Well, uh, well, yeah, interdependence, I would say. Interdependence, right? And if, if, if you have a spouse or not, right? If you have a, a son or a daughter or anything like that, I'm pretty dependent on my wife, or I would not be wearing a clean shirt today. And it's, it's because I am inept at laundry, but in the same sense, she would not be as well fed because I do all the cooking. And in the same sense, I couldn't get both done and she couldn't get both done. That's a very basic, um, practical example, but do you see how he's talking about we're in a position of interdependence, not on soul dependence, right? And some of us, and again, this is not a universal principle. There are those of us that don't have a husband or don't have a wife. Um, and it's like, well, what am I? Am I less? And Paul's addressed that already in a few chapters. Mm -hmm. He's saying, I wish more of you were like me, that you had more self-control. And that in, in fact, mm -hmm. in certain cases, like to live independently as, and give yourself fully to God. Right? Are you ever, as a man or woman, not interdependent on something else? No. 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 Yeah. Right? And we would say, okay, we think automatically on a materialistic plane. Who are you really interdependent on as a Christian? God, absolutely. Right? And that's where he's, he's going to bring it all back to that. But right now he's addressing, essentially, here's a cultural practice for women, and now here's what has been taught by not just Jewish law and Jewish background, but it's become part of society. Now here's how we see seeing things through, you would say, like a gospel lens. Right? And he continues over here. Man, I still have so many notes. This is great. Um... For as a woman was made for man, so no man is born of woman. He's, he's showing another position of interdependence there. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. 
Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? What did he just say? Judge for yourselves, right? Does everything you have to do as a, as a Christian in the practice of, of your church have to depend on what culture is saying? No. Things would look very different, right? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair is a disgrace for him, but if a woman has long hair is her glory? And her hair is given to her for a... Uh, Given, uh, sorry, her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the Church of God. Churches of God. Hey guys, if you want to be contentious, we're out in the practice of being contentious. <laughs> <laughs> right? And he's kind of he's he's putting into practice what he said, and that's why I wanted to make sure I'm trying to blend this a little bit to the section before. Um, when the things uh, don't pull vault over mustards, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of what he's saying here. He's saying, hey, guys, if it's, not, if it's not a big fuss, don't make it a big fuss. If it is, it needs to be addressed. And he, and he almost, you can kind of see it in two different sections. I wish I had just a little bit more time because there's, there's a lot of good notes he can kind of help you. And I wanted to read part of Ephesians chapter 5 because it blends in really well with this. But take it all as it is. Um, Paul writes this letter for two reasons. One, there's diversity in the church and he's seeking unity. Number two, here's a question to, here's the answer to all the questions you're asking. Here's a question you're asking, and it should resolve in unity. That's what he's talking about, right? It is said this and this. He said this and this. In culture, it's practiced this and this. Nevertheless, aren't we all interdependent on each other anyway? And aren't we all in the end, right, as he says, aren't all things from God? Aren't we all interdependent on God anyway? So if this is a matter, we again talked about this with um, the traffic light analogy. When it comes to the offer, things neither forbidden nor commanded, right? There's nothing forbidden nor commanded. In this, in reg- especially in regards to being a new Christian church. Sure, there's old Jewish practices on um, what it meant to have a head covering. Are the people of Corinth Jewish? No. no. And I, I'll say it again. There weren't ten Jews in all of Corinth to even establish a synagogue. So, like, don't, and as he says time and time again when he's talking with Peter in, in, in Acts, like, don't apply the old laws to new people that don't know the old laws. Especially the old laws that don't matter anymore. So he's taking it's like, yes, this is written about this. Yes, this is a societal practice. In the end, we're all interdependent on each other and interdependent upon God. So judge for yourself. Is this a yellow light that's going to turn to red right away? Or is it something that it's a green light and it's fine? Keep proceeding with caution, but do you need to stop it? And he's saying, judge for yourselves. You know, he's not there. He's most likely writing to them from Ephesus. This is a letter, not a sermon, that he was giving to them. So he wrote this letter to them. He's like, guys, judge for yourself how you want to manage it. And that's it. That's all I have, that's all I have time for. And I was going to unpack like what some of the other things meant. Oh, notice in the first section. Yep, so this is just me telling you how to reply. Oh, gosh. So this very first section, i got to tell you this. Because um, we read this. And you have to think of it as, as a teaching technique. Have you ever been in a discussion with somebody where you have to agree with them up to a certain point in order for them to listen to you? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you have to do that. Yeah, it's all marriage counseling today. That's the whole thing. <laughs> Got to agree with them to a certain point in order for them to listen to you. There we are. But you can see that now if you keep that in mind and put a little dash right by that verse 11, you can go, ah, now I see what he's doing here. Now I understand what's going on. I have a friend, oh yeah, and, and I, I unpack a lot of this stuff. We can talk about it another time. But I gave you kind of the main thing, like what it meant. Actions speak louder than words. Uh, profound interdependence and mutual presence, that's kind of what I said. In complex, we have complete unity. If you want to talk about it more, let me know.
happy to tell you about what I learned. But we're all good. Let's close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, it's uh, timely and timeless in understanding the context and things that are going on. Lord, we just see your, your gospel light shine all the brighter. Thank you for um, the levity in which Paul discusses this. Also, in the same sense, help us not uh, pull vote over mouse turds, as was so brilliantly quoted by the great theologian and philosopher um, James and Sherry. So uh, thank you for that perspective in the same sense, Lord, that we, we tend to make a big fuss out of things that are so little when all we want is to see your gospel light shine. Help us not to let things escalate past that and always de-escalate to um, just being there humbly under your guidance and your presence and discussion and issues with one another as we look to be a Christian free from all things, yet, Lord, um, to be a servant of all that you put into our lives. Thank you for being a servant for us and freeing us indeed from that bondage of sin so we could be free to serve others. Pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. Amen.